you go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing a new song this morning. And Sarah's going to start us off, so just sing along with us. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? The shame's done all it's stealing. You're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus.
Houston or on live stream. We don't have all that many announcements, but lots going on coming in the fall here at Southwoods. Um, our teens just got back from their mission trip, so if you see any teenagers, you can be like, how'd it go? How'd it go? Apparently, it was really fun for them. So we're just going to keep worshiping this morning. Um, part of our worship is just ways to give, so you guys can see that slide. There's lots of ways to give here at Southwoods, and they turn everything that we give here into something good for God, and he takes all of that and multiplies it. So let's just continue to worship together. Uh, we're going to have a great morning.
be singing a song about chains Cause my chains are gone Be singing a song about the past Cause I'm moving on No more songs about guilty With words like regret Every about chains No, my chains are gone I found my freedom sing about all the good things that we have because of you, that we don't have to be broken, that we don't have to feel shame. God, that you provided a way out for all of that, and now all we can do is worship you and sing for joy because of the freedom that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for that. Just be with us this morning, God. Like, let your presence fill this place, God, that we, like we sing about, God. Just be with us. Let your presence be here. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go and have a seat. We're about to take communion, and um, 
I learned this week, I, I, I'm a therapist, and so I have some clients that are in grad school for counseling, because whenever you're in grad school for counseling, they're like, you need to go fix yourself before you go try to fix other people. So I see those people sometimes. And the student came in and um, she said to me, so I learned this week that shame is the most physically painful emotion and loneliness is the most emotionally painful emotion. I was like, oh my gosh, like that totally makes sense. Because when people feel shame, it's like this curling up of themselves and not feeling good enough and not feeling worthwhile. And loneliness is such like a, a deeply painful emotional feeling. Like when you're, lots of people are with people and still feel lonely. Or lots of people are alone and they're okay, but when that loneliness kicks in, it is painful. And it just made me think, like, those are the two things, really, that, like, God sending his son saved us from. Like, his blood takes away all of our shame. Like, we don't have to be good enough because Jesus was good enough. And we don't have to be lonely because he is our friend. He is our father. And so I just want to encourage you, like, if you need some relief from that shame or from loneliness or any other, like, intense emotions that you're going through right now, like, know that God sees that and he wants to meet you there. So we're going to just take communion here, and I encourage you, like, go before the Father. His presence is here. Like, when any of us are gathered, whenever two or more are gathered, like, God's presence is with us. Like, he is with us in this room. Just reach out to him. Tell him what you need. He wants to meet you here. So let me pray for us one more time. And I just encourage you to go before the Father and ask him, share with him what you need. God, you are here. Father, you know every heart in this room. You know every story. God, you know the deep things that we're ashamed of. You know the deep loneliness that we feel when people aren't enough. God, only you can fill that hole. And Father, I pray that you would do that this morning and in the future for everyone who can hear this. God, that you would be present, that you would take away that shame and fill that loneliness. God, thank you for your son, that you were so creative in finding a way to be there for us, that you created us to be with you. Bless everyone here this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take communion.
Well, good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you, uh, all of you this morning, those of you here on site, and those of you listening online as well, appreciate that. I want you to think with me this morning about the good life. I mean, what is the good life? Is the good life driving a luxury automobile into a lovely gated community where you safely and comfortably live? Is that the good life? Is the good life being young and athletic and strong and traveling to exotic places and doing extreme things even in some instances? Is the good life living with few problems, worries, inconveniences? Is this really what the good life is? You know, many in our time define the good life in these kinds of terms. And if they don't find these kinds of things in their lives, many in our day begin to think that something's horribly wrong with their lives. Because this is, after all, the focus of what life is really all about. But according to the Bible, the good life has little to do with comfort, convenience, has little to do with painless living. The good life has everything to do instead with the growth of certain virtues in your life and mine, virtues like love and joy and peace. Look at this passage in Galatians 5. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, this is the good life, my friends, right here. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's a life of spiritual virtue, a life of moral moral character and substance. It's a life that only God can help you and me develop. If we could do it independently, the world would be a different, better place, right? It's a life that we need God's involvement in our life and to make that possible. And that kind of life, a truly good life, can be lived by the rich or poor, by the young or the old. It can be lived in good times or in bad times. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient, it, it transcends all of those kinds of superficial conditions of life that we'd all like to have as perfect in our lives, but the fact is life's a mess sometimes, right? Jesus tells us the key to experiencing more of the good life as God defines it In one of his parables, he tells us a lot about this, various places, but in one parable I want us to look at this morning is Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bible, open it with me to Luke chapter 8. It's a familiar passage probably to to a few of you and others of you. Maybe you've uh, never read it before or haven't read it for some time. Luke chapter 8 is the passage. Uh, There is a parallel version of it in Matthew chapter 13. It's, uh, It's a fascinating passage of Scripture and one of Jesus' uh, sort of preeminent parables because it defines an awful lot of what life is really all about. I want us to uh, read it together and reflect on Jesus' words together this morning, and then we'll apply all of this to us, okay? Luke 8, starting at verse 4, says this, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and 
choked out the tender plants, and still other seed fell on fertile soil, and this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, remember this is Jesus speaking, when he had said this, he cried out, called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Several times Jesus says this phrase, and anytime you're reading your Bible and you run across that, whether it's Jesus saying it or if you get into the book of Revelation and you see it there, anytime you see it, it's just sort of Bible speak for, you know, there's more to be understood here than what meets the eye. And the disciples immediately understood that and they didn't get it. And so they asked Jesus about it. In verse 11, Jesus continues by explaining the parable. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. So think about the meaning behind it all. Jesus says, the seed is what? Say it out loud with me one more time. It's what? It's God's word. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. And this is Jesus speaking, okay? So keep that in mind. Verse 13, he continues, The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. And the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. I just want to ask you, let's just bow our heads together. Let's pray and just ask God to... Open our minds and our hearts to what he's saying to us here from this passage. Okay, let's pray real briefly together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is seed for goodness. And that even right now, we've just read your word and you have good things that you want us to understand from this passage. The disciples had to ask for your wisdom and understanding. And so right now, Lord, we just pause like them. We just say, Lord, help us to understand. Help us to grasp it, but more than that, help us to live it for our sake, for the benefit of people who are part of our lives, whether they be children or spouses or extended family or neighbors or co-workers. Help us us to live the kind of life that you've made us to live, a truly good life. And God, we just ask that uh, as you open our minds and our hearts to understand this and live it, God, we promise to give you credit for the good that results. Speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now in these verses, Jesus opens our eyes to a lot of things. But in particular, what I want you to see this morning is he he highlights for us really the key to living the good life and sustaining it. I mean, it it really ought to be in bold letters for us here as we look at the text. And I hope you noticed it. The key to the good life is the good seed. It's the Word of God. That's the key. The key to living the good life and sustaining it is the Word of God. You know, there are different soils, but without the seed, nothing that's good grows in the soil. So the key, I mean, the the pivotal defining element 
of living the good life from God's perspective is His Word. It's His book. It's the character seed of God planted in the soil of our lives will make all the difference in the long term. So really the idea, once we get that basic big idea that he's trying to communicate to us, it becomes rather obvious and logical that really what we need to do is if that's true, if this is the transition point, if this is what makes the difference in my life, living the good life or not, then I need to be planting mass quantities of this book in my heart, in my mind. I need lots of seed, lots of seed planted in the soil of my heart and my life. And that's really important that we get that concept because in Luke 8, Jesus tells us why this idea is so important, why it's so pivotal for us. He tells us that there are three threats to sustaining the good life as God defines the good life. And it, what's fascinating to me is that this, what he's about to say transcends time and culture and education and a whole lot of things. I mean, the wisdom of what he's saying had relevance at his time 2,000 years ago as he was walking the earth, and it has real relevance in our time, as you'll see as we work our way through this. But we're going to talk for a few minutes about these three threats to you and me living the good life as God defi defines it. And then we're going to talk for a few moments just about some steps to overcoming these threats and sustaining the good life uh, in our lives. So the first threat that Jesus really highlights here is what, uh, as, as I thought about a word to try to phrase it or characterize it, the first word that came to my mind was hard-headedness. It's a word that I grew up, my mom would say to me sometimes, you know, you're being kind of hard-headed. What does that mean when your mom would tell you that? Some of you are saying, I never heard that. You tell me. Well, what hard-headed meant in our situation was that she was trying to tell me something over and over and over and over and over again, and guess what? It's like maybe the porch light was on, but nobody's home, the door was not open, nothing was getting through, right? Another concept that's related is really hard-headed. It's not, as I reflect on this more, the threat is not hard-headedness as much as it is hard-heartedness. What's the distinction there? We all know people who are hard-headed, but they're very soft and pliable on the outside. It's, it's like you'd never know that, that they're stubborn in their spirit, right? I mean, they, they look pliable, they look friendly, but the truth of the matter is... in They've got a closed heart to certain things. And I think that's why Jesus, as he speaks about this stuff, speaks in terms of the heart over and over again because it bypasses the, su the surface level of life. And so Jesus, Jesus was a little more politically correct, a little, more, a little less blunt about it when he words this uh, matter, this threat, in verse 5. Look at it. He describes it this way. This is the, the metaphor version of it. He says, as a farmer went out to plant his seed... He scattered it across his field. Some seed fell on a footpath. He describes it as a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. But later when he explains what he meant by that in verse 12, he says this, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing 
and being saved. He's, he's talking in terms of heart here. Think of it this way. It would be like deciding that you are going to plant your garden in the driveway. How's that going to work out for you? So I'm going I'm I'm to plant some tomatoes out here. I'm going to plant some, uh, some cucumber seeds in the driveway. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant lots and lots of seeds. What's going to happen? Uh, when people drive in and out, they're going to run over it with their tires. It's going to get crushed. Birds are going to come and eat it. The dog's going to lick it up. This is what's going to happen. It's, it's not going to grow anything. The, the point of Jesus' metaphor of a footpath or this modern-day illustration is to basically say the result of hard-heartedness is that God's good life is never truly experienced in this person's life because the Word of God never really takes root. It's a soil that's impenetrable. It, it just can't be... Nothing can grow in it. That's hard-heartedness, the first kind of soil that, that the Bible talks about. And it's basically in this kind of environment, the heart of a person, I mean, the evil one is free to sort of come and go, and he, you'll hear something, it'll land, you may begin to think about it, he'll snatch it away because you're just so close-minded and close-hearted about what it is. And that's the first threat to living and experiencing the good life as God really intended it. Everybody's sort of subject to the possibility of that. And this may be where you are at the moment, but this doesn't mean this is where you'll be always. Because guess what? Somebody comes along and busts up the driveway. What happens? Suddenly, uh, there are cracks, and I got a driveway right now that's an asphalt driveway. It needs a little help, truthfully. I got plenty of things growing in my driveway. It's not growing tomatoes, it's not growing cucumbers, nothing that's going to truly bear fruit, but right now there's some grass in a few spots. And if you drove by, you'd say, that's ugly. That needs to be taken care of. One of two things, rip the driveway out and plant it, or, you know, kind of close up the cracks. That's kind of what you, what you do with that. The point is, is that the condition of a person's, the soil of a heart, may be really hard at the moment. That doesn't mean God can't change that. He specializes in that. But there's a second threat to the good life and experiencing it and living it really as God intends for us, and that's superficiality. It's a superficial life. And look at verse 6 is how the, Jesus metaphorically describes it in his, in his story. He says, uh, other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. And he explains a few verses later what he had in mind to his disciples. He says, The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. So you see, it's like the plant begins to take root. But he goes on, Jesus says, But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they what? What's he say? Fall away. When they face what? Temptation. I think it's interesting. It's, it's really temptation is what sabotages them in, in this instance. The result of what Jesus is describing here is that, that God's good life is never fully realized in this person's life 
because God's word is not rooted deeply enough in this person for them to overcome temptation. I just thought it was interesting as I reflected on it. You know, it's, it's like temptation spiritually dehydrates this person. Any of us who have been tempted in some major, major ways, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it just sucks the life out of you under certain circumstances. The soul withers. I think part of God's idea for us is when we find ourselves in those places is that we, we pause and we recognize my root system needs to be deeper. In that moment, that's what we need to think to ourselves. My root system needs to be deeper. You can reinforce that through relationships. You can reinforce it around here. But, but a lot of it has to do with this book right here. The third threat to God's good life in your life and mine, experiencing it, is distractedness. That's how I phrased it. I worked really hard to try to think of how the phrase, that word to use. But look at how Jesus describes it, verse 7. He says, other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. They just were merciless, the thorns were. They just choked the life right out of those plants. Verse 14, he explains his imagery with these words. He says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Now, here's what I want you to think about for a moment with me. He describes the thorns as is, you know, just caring about all the things of life. He talks about riches. He talks about the pleasures of life. It's a strange irony. It sounds to me like Jesus is describing our culture's definition of the good life. I want you to wrestle with that a little bit. It's as though Jesus is saying... The good life as you see it portrayed before you might not always be good. Perhaps the cares associated with trying to get that life or maintain that life, the riches associated that it represents and all that attracts you about that, the pleasures that it offers, this is what Jesus is saying. It could be a trap. It could be a trap. If we allow those things to distract us from the true source of the good life. What sort of things distract you? from their pursuit of God's kind of good life? What distracts you from Bible study, from scripture reflection, from reading your Bible, from memorizing it? What distracts you from occasions when you're with other people and dialoguing about, about scripture or maybe that mission trip that you thought about going on but you've never gone on because there's other stuff that just 
squeezes in. And I could go on with these kinds of things, but Jesus is pointing out to us that that which we think is the good life in our generation could, in fact, rob us of the good life that God longs for us to experience. So what should we do about that? i just highlight real quickly three steps to overcoming these threats and sustaining our personal spiritual growth, sustaining a good life by God's definition. So just three steps real quickly. These are not, this is not rocket surgery, brain science. It's not. This is not, this is not complicated, really. It's just challenging to do in the culture in which we live. First step is that we need to prioritize this book into our lives and listen carefully to it. I'm tempted to say minimizing distractions, but the truth is we need to eliminate distractions. We need to eliminate distractions. Because the distractions to you and me absorbing more and more of this book into our lives are many, many, many. And part of the idea behind prioritizing this book and listening carefully to it is that, think of it this way. If this book is the seed for our soils developing character and goodness and godliness, then here's what we got to do. You and I have got to plant mass quantities of seed into this brain and into this heart. I have to plant so much seed that it that it completely, totally overwhelms the thorns that would wish to choke it out. Here's how I want you to think about it. If you're trying to grow a yard, a grass yard, and you want, you want it to be pristine, you want it to be a Johnson County kind of yard, you know what I mean? You want it to be that, right? Some of you have it, some of you don't. I don't. Anything that's green grows in my yard. It just gets mowed. It starts changing colors. I start thinking I better do something about that. But anyway, that's another matter. Stay focused. We got it. We got to. Yeah, I'm doing my own ADD thing. <laughs> my brain choking out my better thoughts. But anyway, if you're going to grow the Johnson County on, what do you do? Of course, you spray some chemical on the weeds because that's just what you do if you live in Johnson County. You hire somebody to do this is what you do because you're not going to do it. That's kind of the way it happens. So, but what else do you got to do? You do that, you'll just have bare spots, right? Some of you know because you've had that. So what do you do? You overseed. You way overseed. In fact, in my lawn, what I do, and this has been improving, by the way, I, I got like two acres, so I can't like spray weed killer everywhere and do all of this because I'm too cheap. I'm, that's my other problem. I'm cheap. So I don't want to spend this money. So what do I do? Last couple of years, every year, I just you know, kind of mow it low and I overseed the whole lawn. I mean, I just dump large quantities of grass seed the kind that spreads, you know, that's what I do every year. Guess what's happening as I'm doing that? Every year it looks better. Every year. I'm sprayed one weed killer 
Now I got a new dog. I'm really not spraying weed killer now. Now I'm trying to keep him away from the grass seed that I plant. That's what I would be doing this fall. But here's the point. You want to plant so much of the seed of God's word in your heart and life that it, you want to go on the offensive. You want this to begin to crowd out all of the other activities, all of the other things in your life that would keep you and distract you from God's good plan for your life and your family and your future. So what we got to do. We have got to prioritize this book and not allow distractions. We've got to plant, 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 plant. Second step is we've got to cling to, got to cling to what the word says like a rock climber's death grip. Every time I think about this, I think about this picture. Took this picture years ago on a vacation, and since it's summertime, I thought it, uh, we, we did this. This is our son, Josh. Uh, we were having a lot of fun. Mom, we, we, everybody who takes a picture like this, you're doing it to like jab mom a little bit, right? It's kind of what you're doing. So we were like freaking mom out a little bit with this picture. And for those of you who right now, you have a little inner trauma just because you look at that and think, oh, there's a great canyon behind there. This is Canyonlands National Parks where we did this. Uh, notice the prickly bush behind him and to the right of him, another bush. There's another level below there. So he's not hanging on. So just didn't want your afternoon to be traumatized by this picture. But I, I, the idea was, the idea is when we find the word, of, I mean, if there was really, if he was really hanging, is he going to be hanging on to that rock? Of course he is. He's going to be clutching that rock with everything in him. That's what he's going to be doing. And because the seed of the word of God, the seed of God's good life can be robbed from you and me. Remember what Jesus himself said in verse 12. Who wants to come along and take it, from, rob you of it? Who is it in the text? Verse 12. The devil. He says it. Some of us debate, is the devil real? Is, is heaven and hell real? We kind of go through this kind of nonsense in our day. But the fact is, Jesus speaks of the devil right here, and he does speak of hell in other places. But the point is, is that, it can be robbed from you. And so Jesus is saying, that's why he uses the word cling, as you'll see in a few moments. Because we got to cling to it. we got to clutch it. we got to hang on to God's good plan for our lives. And then once we, while we're doing that, verse 15 also tells that we got to be patient and long-suffering in our pursuit of a life of obedience and virtue. Look at verse 15. Jesus sort of conveys some of this idea really here where he says the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who, notice what he says, who hear God's word, so they're, they're prioritizing, they're listening, they're prioritizing, they're, they're planting the seed in their soils like we're talking about. They cling to it. It's that idea of I'm just hang on to it. You know, you can take my car, you can take my house, you can take, a, you can take certain clothes, you can, take, you can take a whole lot of things in my life, but you're not taking this. Satan is kind of the mindset. And then he says, and patiently produce a huge harvest. 
we're going to overcome the threats Jesus speaks of, if we're going to sustain the good life as God defines it, we're going to have to listen carefully to the word of God and plant lots of it in our lives. We're going to have to cling to what we hear and live it out. And we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to be long-suffering because, frankly, anytime you plant a seed, what has to happen? It takes time to grow. Harvest is always preceded by a season of patient waiting while roots grow that one day will produce a crop. So here's what we all need to sort of think about and wrestle with today. Are we patiently and persistently planting God's word in our lives? Are you doing that? Are you planting lots of seed? Maybe the temptation is to plant sparingly, you know? You plant once a week. You come to church. You watch us on live stream. That's good. Plant like that. But are you planting in your own devotional life? Are you planting in a small group with some men or some women or couples or with some other students? Or are you planting, you know, the Word of God in other ways? Are you planting the Word of God? I was just thinking some of you... You know, you're self-employed and you travel and you drive around in a truck doing stuff and you, you're planting by listening to Scripture, you know, as it's taught by various teachers. We have people on the radio. You can stream podcasts. I mean, today there is no shortage of availability of Bible teaching. Now, some of it is maybe a little out there, some of it, but there's a lot of it if if you're looking and you're listening and you're consistently comparing what you're hearing against what you know Scripture to say. We just need to be planting lots and lots of seed. There's no substitute for reading yourself. You have a Bible reading plan that you're doing. You know, you can go out to YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version.com, right? It's not a word, .com. You can go out there. I got more Bible reading plans than you can imagine. Honestly, it's overwhelming. So I caution you. Just go pick one and don't get hung up on which one. But pick one if you don't have a better plan that you're already in your mind, that you already have an idea for. Because, friends, if you and I are going to ever experience the good life as God defines it, the good life that we want to live, the good life that we were made to live, honestly, by God, the good life that had sin not entered the world in the Garden of Eden and had corruption not entered the spiritual realm, but Satan himself, all the things that set everything on its crazy course it's on now, you know, the fact is, you know, you and I were meant for a good virtuous, moral, godly, honorable life. It's what we were meant for. And we need this, more of this, more of this in our, in our lives to live that out more fully. I want to close with this, this thought, this experience, and um, it's been probably 12 years ago or so, but many years ago I was preparing a message series, and I was planning to talk about um, in the series, I just felt like the important, well, actually what I was, I was 
praying, God, what, what should my series be about? If you are a preacher and you do this long enough, it's kind of like, you just you got to keep writing new sermons. You know, most of us don't think about this, but it's like your brain gets tired and you just keep thinking, I, I need fresh thoughts. I need new thoughts. God, help me. And that's what you're praying for. And particularly, we've been here 31 years, I think, are coming up on. So it's like you, some preachers, they move every you know, year or three years or something. You just keep preaching the same things. That's what some people do. I don't recommend it, but that's what they do. So I'm wrestling with God. What what is this next series, God? What do you want to talk about? What what fresh thoughts? And and this does not happen often, uh, at least this way. But I was in my little camper over at Hillsdale Lake, and I can take you to the uh, to the campsite that we that uh, Sam, the old dog, and I were at. As uh, I was kind of praying and just seeking God for what do you want me to talk about next and. Um, I had a spiritual experience where, where God spoke to me, and uh, I didn't hear it audibly, but I unmistakably heard what he said in my spirit. And this is what he said. And it was so clear and so direct that, you know, I heard it and then just wrote it down because I thought, I want to save this. And here's what he said. He said, your love for my word is inadequate. And I have to tell you, he had me right there. And at that point, it's like, I care about the Word of God. I mean, I, I value the Word of God, and I'm thinking about the culture in which we live and the way we view the Word of God. And, and I just, but he said, you know, your love for my Word is inadequate. And he continued, and he said, you'll never experience me without my Word guiding you You'll never understand me without my word enlightening you. You'll never know me without loving my word. For my word is light and life to all who receive it. I wrote that down and I just began to reflect on that and just had unquestionably clarity, unquestionable clarity that you know, what he was wanting me to do was spend about eight weeks talking about the importance of his word. And uh, I could take you back to that series and, and walk you back through that. Some of you were around back in those days when, when I did that. But as I reflected on that and prayed about it, I, I, I finally realized at one point that his indictment was not just of me, but it's just our generation. Our love for God's word is inadequate. It really is. The most devoted of us. It's like our love is is inadequate. And we're never going to truly experience him without his word guiding us. We're never really going to understand him without his word enlightening us. We're never really going to know him. We may know about him certain things, but we will never truly know him. Know him, the creator of the universe, the maker of you and me, the one who died to pay the penalty for your sins. We're never truly going to know him without loving his word more deeply because it's his word that brings light and life to these mortal bodies that are temporal. 
and it brings life to your spirit, which is eternal. And friends, God's word's the key to living the good life now and forever. So my encouragement to you this morning, I believe God's encouragement to every one of us this morning is just simply plant it in your life. Plant it in as large a quantities as you can figure out a way to do it. Cling to it. Live it. And if you're patient with time, you're going to reap a huge harvest of blessing and goodness that you'll get to keep forever. Nobody can take it from you. They may kill your body, but your spirit, the real you, that will be good to the core of your being because of God's transformation in his word in your heart, that will be yours forever. And one of these days you'll get a new body that will make this one seem pale by comparison. So let's plant the word of God in our hearts and our lives, okay? Will you join me in that? I'm going to ask you if you would stand up with me. We're going to close in prayer. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your heart and life. And if you've never done that, today would be a perfect opportunity. Just look heavenward and just say, Lord, fill me, cleanse me, make me yours. I promise you he will. Maybe you need to demonstrate your faith in him by being baptized. If you've never done that, we can help you with that. Uh, periodically, people that are baptized around here, well, most, most of you have been around, you know that. So uh, if you've never been baptized as a testimony, as an expression of your faith, um, let us help you obey Scripture and obey Jesus' teaching in that. Maybe you need prayer for something. Uh, feel free to come on down afterwards. Maybe you need a Bible. There's Bibles in various chairs around here. You can take one with you. Uh, if if the print on that's too small, then uh, shout. If you can't afford one, we'll help you. Take that one and take that Bible into Mardell Christian Bookstore up there and say, this is what I want, only bigger print. So they don't give you like a, you know, 1492 King James Bible that, you know, Shakespeare could have read, but maybe you might have a little difficulty with some, Okay. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Thrilled that you're here today. May God bless you as you head out your way today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. I thank you for the faith that they're demonstrating just by being here or tuning in via live stream. My request of you, oh God, is that you will help us come to know you, that you'll help us to plant more and more of your word in our lives and ask, oh God, that your spirit would help that word to grow in us, help us to cling to it, help us to fend off the parts of our culture's good life that might be corrupting or distracting us from what is truly the path to your definition of good life. Help us to choose wisely as we wrestle with the things in our calendar and our schedule. That that which is truly life might be our inheritance, not just in this life, but in life to come. Oh, God, would you go with us, empower us by your spirit, help us to walk in your ways, help us to represent you well wherever we go, to love like you love, to serve, to encourage, help us to be gentle like you're gentle, help us to speak like you would speak. God, help us to walk in your ways, your good life. Go with us now as we leave this place. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.
Thanks for coming today.